Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am Pat Rulo, and today I am so honored to share a recent Firebird Book Award winning author with you. She is Amy Rivers, and the winning book is titled Stumble and Fall. Amy is an award-winning suspense author and essayist. She is the director of Writing Heights Writers Association and was chosen as 2021 Indie Author of the Year by the Indie Author Project. Her novel titled All the Broken People was selected as the Colorado Author Project winner in the adult fiction category. She was raised in New Mexico and now lives in Colorado with her husband and children. She is a former director for the Sexual Assault Nurse Examiners of Otero and Lincoln Counties, and she holds degrees in psychology and political science, as well as continuing education in forensic, criminology, and victim advocacy, all topics she loves to write about. And I am so looking forward to finding out more, so let's just get started. Welcome to the network, Amy. Hi, Pat. Thanks for having me. Wow. Thank you for being here, and thank you for submitting to the Firebird Book Awards, and congratulations on the win. Thank you so much. Our pleasure. Wow, your background is so interesting, and I'm sure that we will touch on that because it obviously plays into your writing. So the book, Stumble and Fall, that won Firebird here, is the sequel to the first book titled Complicit, which was your kickoff book for the Legacy of Silence series. So maybe just for a moment, so we understand book two, let's just go back maybe to the first book and give us a little peek into the premise of that. Uh, yeah, I like to write about relationships. Um, and so I started out thinking about the dynamics of a sister relationship. Um, I have a really good relationship with my sister, and sometimes they can be really complicated. And so I was thinking about that and then, of course, wanting to address a social issue. And I had been thinking a lot about the idea of domestic human trafficking, so um, trafficking of human beings in a in the United States, which is not generally where what we think of when we think of trafficking. We usually try and kind of our brains go outside the country, but in towns in America, in big towns especially around events and things like that, there are very big trafficking problems. But also, small towns are are really perfect places sometimes for crime to happen simply because. Everybody knows each other and everybody trusts each other. And we all kind of have this idea in our head that that person couldn't possibly have done this thing. And so I started thinking a lot about what would happen if you had an organization in a small town that has been kind of operating under the radar for years, for generations even, um, and, and doing it in such a subtle way and using that sort of trust structure that exists in the small town to sort of create maybe a, a, you know, a sort of subconscious complicity. I don't know if that's a thing, but (laughs) among the people who are in the town where, you know, everybody maybe kind of has a hint that something is a little off and then, you know, but doesn't really do anything about it because they don't really know what it is or because they think that the people that are involved are upstanding citizens. So. That's kind of where that went. <laughs> and you know, I mean, that's not a far-fetched supposition. It really isn't. Uh, I, I no, think truly we, not. No, it really isn't. We like to think so. Um, and until you are aware of human trafficking, you just have no idea. And once you become aware, you can kind of look at things in a little bit of a different light and pay attention in a bit of a different way. So I think it's really important that you highlight this. Why? Why was that important to you? 
Uh, actually, really because of what you just said, which is I think that we don't, what we don't know, we can't really start to tackle. We can't really get rid of or help to prevent something that we don't understand. And it's been really uh, pretty pervasive among everybody, you know, all, all of society, all levels, and especially, you know, in families and in small communities to just not talk about the things that are too difficult or that seem hard or that maybe touch on parts of our lives like sexuality that we don't want to necessarily have a public conversation about. But the problem with that is that silence hides violence. Um, if you don't talk about it, then people don't find out what's going on. You can't provide aid to somebody who isn't willing to come forward. And quite frankly, you know, as a victim of that kind of violence, if you know that you're in an area that is not going to be supportive of you coming forward, you're not going to because you're already experiencing something horrendous and, you know, having to experience what happens when you come forward with that is also, you know, as bad, sometimes worse. And so it's it's a lot of wanting to try and help readers, even in kind of a subtle way, just think about human trafficking, sexual assault, the dynamics of how victims behave and how they don't behave and maybe get rid of some of those misunderstandings and preconceptions and walk away from a book that's fiction and that is an, an enjoyable read with perspectives that may help us be more aware out there in the real world. Absolutely. I applaud you for that. Yes, to fictionalize it makes it more palatable, I think, for people to um, to consume but then they're left with those questions, and it's not like you hit them over the head with it. So, um, yeah, there's... for sure. And it's funny, actually, because we have, you know, when I was studying, uh, when you're studying forensic science, one of the things that they talk about, and, and this is actually true of uh, when you're studying to do your exams to become a sexual assault nurse examiner, they talk about the CSI effect. That has become a thing like an actual term that you learn about when you're in school studying these things. And the CSI effect is literally the way that we perceive crime scene investigation to happen and the speed and the, you know, the, the way that fiction has basically created this very um, sensationalized Hollywood version of what crime scene investigation looks like. And it's not like that. And so then when a person is working with the police or is working with investigators, they are sometimes, under this, you know, expectation that's false, that everything is just going to go really smoothly and all the answers are going to come out. And that's just not the way that real life works. So, you know, trying to, even with fiction, trying to help educate and help people understand what real life looks like is really a huge part of why I write. That is interesting. I, I never really thought of that. But you're right. We're so accustomed to the little bite size. Everything's wrapped up in the 30 minute or one hour show and it's done and solved and um, move on to the next. But uh, not so in real life. For sure. It's yep. definitely a much longer and more arduous process for everybody involved. Sure. Well, then, if you would share a bit about the book Stumble and Fall. So. When I started writing these books, um, I knew I was going to need to write at least three because, again, life doesn't get wrapped up into nice little packages and it, there are lingering things when you start trying to take down a gigantic operation like this that has been so entrenched in the community. It's going to take time because you're going to start peeling back layers and having to try and figure out, you know, what is going on. And then you're met with this 
resistance because, of course, the people who are in power and are wanting to, you know, remain operating the way that they are are going to fight you. And in some cases, especially in thrillers um, and crime fiction, that fight is a very, you know, physical fight or emotional fight, something that, you know, the main characters are going to have to really grapple with. And so I got to an ending place where things had been sort of uncovered and we know the main protagonist, Kate and her sister Tilly, they know kind of what's been going on in the community and they've started to unravel it, but that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg. So Stumble and Fall really takes up that story, shows both of the sisters moving through their lives and all of the things that are happening to them as they are working in these capacities of helping victims and trying to solve crimes, because that's the other thing that we sometimes forget is that the people who are working as investigators or are working to try and uncover these crimes have lives. They have families. They have lives. They have problems. Um, you know, sometimes life gets in the way and you're trying your best to be the best person that you can be, but you still have to deal with the realities of your own situation in addition to everything else. And it's always been really, um, really on the top of my mind that first responders especially are just, there's so much secondary trauma that happens for them when they're working with victims that sometimes stopping to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves can be really, really difficult. Oh, for sure. I work in the healthcare field um, as a patient advocate, and um, you see that, and you see that expectation of first responders, even healthcare providers, doctors, and nurses. You don't expect that they have a life or that something horrible might have just happened to them this morning because you're only concerned about yourself and how they're going to treat you. So uh, that's a completely different perspective that I think most people, again, don't consider. No, and I think that, you know, when we're entrenched in something that's very emotionally difficult or psychologically difficult for us, we have a tendency to become very narrow in the way that we're looking at the world, right? So my problems are the only problems that exist right now. And I think that's pretty much normal for all humans. You know, my big issue is that I feel like little by little, we see a lot less empathy in the world for other people. It's harder on a daily basis to put yourself in the shoes of somebody else. And unless you can do that, it makes it really difficult to come to the table on a bad day, you know, and, and be empathetic when we have a hard time coming to the table and being empathetic on a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another thing, you know, that I feel really is hopefully something that I can continue addressing because I think that that's a huge problem just in general in society right now is this lack of empathy for our fellow man. So true. And that's actually a little tip I always share with people that if you are in a hospital situation, either as the patient or especially as like as an advocate, is to treat your healthcare providers with empathy. And I often would just even ask them, like, how are you doing today? And how are you feeling? And, you know, did you have a good night? Or how was your kid's basketball game yesterday? I mean, that goes a long way also to building that relationship and to get the better care that you demand. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's exactly it. My husband always says, no matter what kind of book I'm writing, it's going to be a relationship book because I do (laughs) think that relationships are sort of central to everything. I mean, they are the building blocks of our society and our communities and our families. And it's you really can't avoid that part of human life because we're social creatures. Um, And, you know, it's funny because actually 
actually having empathy for the people around you does not mean not advocating for your own needs or, you know, making sure that you are also being taken care of. But you're right. When you are able to form those connections, it actually makes everybody's job easier Mm -hmm. and it helps everybody sort of be invested in that relationship, even if it's only a temporary one, like, you know, dealing with doctors or nurses when you're in the hospital, um, you know, little bits and pieces of relationships that you have that don't really last very long. But if you can make an impact on that person's life that's positive, you know, maybe that effect will go out and make someone else's day better, you know, along the line. That kind of ripple effect is important. Absolutely. So well said. I'm glad we touched on this little nugget because I think it's a priceless bit of advice. So with your background um, as a sexual assault nurse examiner, did that help you in character development, in building your characters? It's funny, actually, yes, um, for sure. I was the director of that program. I'm actually not a nurse, so I was overseeing the administrative parts of the program, but I I lived in a small town and we dealt with a million jurisdictions. So we had to do a lot of public education. So I went through the sexual assault nurse examiner training and did all kinds of continuing education and then did my master's and really was looking a lot at violence prevention and the way that that works in communities. And so everything that I was doing at that time informed not only, you know, the types of subjects that I want to grapple with in my books, but also a lot of the characters because I started seeing things like, um, the way that a victim reacts to a violent crime and the way that we sometimes expect that it's going to be a certain way and it's completely not. It's something completely different. And that tendency sometimes for, especially for law enforcement officers and people who are having to do the initial investigations to look past very like unique human reactions and just continue their investigation. Uh, you know, for example, you might have a person who comes in after being sexually assaulted who is just absolutely in tears and devastated and very emotional, but you may also have a person who comes in and is completely stoic and doesn't seem to be showing any emotion at all, and neither of those reactions is indicative of what happened. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing, I think, for people to wrap their heads around sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you were able to take these experiences that you had and build your characters from those experiences. Basically, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and to really look at how, you know, wanting to illustrate how people can be very different and very very unique and that there's so many factors that play into how you react to things. And it's funny, you know, because sometimes there's some pushback by readers where, you know, people will say, well, why, why is Kate so, why has she got herself so together in her professional life that she's such a disaster in her personal life? And I'm like, aha, <laughs> there's a reason. <laughs> Thank you for noticing. Because <laughs> that's you know that's the thing in your professional life. You can be, you can put on a different persona, and you don't have to have your vulnerable parts out where other people can see them. And it's very different in intimate relationships, even just with family and friends. So uh, it's it's fun to look at characters and to really think about all of the things that drive them, and you know how small variations in their background or in their experiences can actually really, really heavily impact how they react in the future to trauma and to love and to happiness and to, you know, just all of the big emotion things that can happen. Right. 
What is the process with your books? Do they pour out of you? Do you just sit and write? Do you have designated times? Just give us a little peek into how they actually come from you onto the paper. I am 100% a discovery writer, meaning that I just sit down and write. I usually have a pretty vague idea of where I want things to go and how I want them to come out. And usually I have a character, a pretty strong character in mind. So I would say I don't really think about the plot as much as I think about the character mm-hmm. and then start throwing things at them <laughs> see what happens. Um, but it also means that, you know, I write all of my first drafts are just like kind of verbal vomit. I've mm-hmm. put out everything in my brain onto the page. And I know that most of what's going to happen in terms of getting that into shape where it can go out to readers is going to happen in revision and editing. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a long process and maybe, you know, every once in a while I look over at people who just outline their whole book at the beginning and have dedicated writing time and stuff. And I'm like, oh, that sounds so amazing. Um, but I've tried doing that and it just makes my brain shut off in terms of creativity. So I have to just be true to my clunky little process of uh, really terrible first drafts and then months and months of revision. <laughs> I love that question because everybody has a different answer and, you know, there is no right answer to that. It's just, it just fits and suits your personality. And at the very beginning, you said that basically you're, you're relationship driven. So it's not a plot driven book. And, and that's why you write the way you do, because as you say, you just got to get all that out there and then put it in place and make some shape out of it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm definitely like just throwing the big, lump of dough on a table and kind of pondering it for a while before I even try to put any kind of order and structure to it, which, you know, can be a real, uh, it can be a real pain <laughs> when you start realizing, oh, I know it's missing. I need to go back and add a whole new character to this because that's what, you know, that voice is what's been missing. And that has happened. And I don't recommend it necessarily, but, you know, you go with the flow. <laughs> it always works out in the end, doesn't it? Absolutely. (laughs) So you are working on the third book now? I am, and it'll close off the series. This book is going to be called Ripple Effect. Uh, So you can kind of see (laughs) see where I'm headed, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, with this idea that we're we're going to wrap up a lot of loose ends, people who've been reading it simply for the crime fiction joy of it all will, you know, see how this whole system is then dismantled and what are what is kind of left at the end what is the debris <laughs> in some cases you know humans uh, who are trying to figure out how to just get back to normal life and in some cases you know finding justice or finding something like justice and figuring out how we feel about that because you know not, especially in cases where interpersonal violence of any sort is related, often the outcome is just not as cleanly packaged as you'd like it to be. And that's something that we all have to kind of start to learn too. For sure. When when do you expect that to be out? should be on bookshelves in October, late October. Oh, wow. All right. So you're wrapping this up. And I'm assuming, I'm guessing, that your brain is always working and there's something beyond that. Yeah, yes, I've got several projects that I'm getting super excited about and trying not to think much about because <laughs> when I start thinking about them, I stop wanting to finish up on the things I'm working on, and that is not good. <laughs> I get that. Is it in the same vein? Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, I think that everything that I write from here on out, no matter what it is, is uh, always going to have, you know, female characters at the center, 
um, and have social issues that are kind of the big focal point or the framework for through which the story is told. So you're going to see lots of relationships and lots of trauma. And that is just how I roll. <laughs> this is you. Well, we will look forward to that. All right. Well, as we begin to wrap up, I want to make sure that we're not missing anything that you wanted to talk about today. Um, not that I can think of. I guess the big thing for me would be to say that since, uh, you know, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month and we've been through Human Trafficking Awareness Month, you know, the, I, my idea for all readers is just consider when you're reading whatever it is you're reading, you know, what, what are the real world takeaways from that? What can you, what can you glean, uh, from even, you know, the most fantastic, like fantasy fiction? that pertains to how we do relationship and how we do real life and how we are when we're together and trying to actually be in community with one another. Because I think that it would be great if, you know, we're, we're kind of using fiction, especially as a way to gain new perspective. Excellent. Thank you. And then if you would share all your contact information so folks can find out more about you and get copies of your books. Sure. Um, so my website is amyrivers.com and I'm on all the socials, uh, especially spend a lot of time on Instagram. So if you come and find me, you can find links to all the books, which are available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and a million other places mm-hmm. and in hard copy and lots of places as well. So it's pretty widely available. Um, it, all, all of my books are in print, ebook, and uh, most of them in audiobook also. So uh, whatever format is your preference, usually you can get one. And right this very second, so probably the next 30 days or so, all of my crime fiction ebooks are on Kindle for 99 cents. So anybody's into stocking up for summer, that's a great time to get it. Well, absolutely. Yes. So it's amyrivers.com. The first book is titled Complicit. And the second is Stumble and Fall. And we will anticipate the third one, Ripple Effect, coming out sometime in October. (laughs) This has been such an important conversation. Thank you for bringing this difficult subject to light in such a way that um, it's going to reach more and more people. I am just thrilled to have met you and look forward to your third book and continuing this conversation. Anything I can do personally to help you further this conversation, please lean on me. I'm happy to help. So thank you for today. Thank you. This is wonderful. I love talking about this stuff and it's great to talk with someone who who really understands. (laughs) Thank you, Amy Rivers, amyrivers.com.